Well, Christmas is big business, is it not? If you looked, uh, even before Thanksgiving, if you looked at the department stores or the supermarkets, they were already planning for Christmas right, or right after Halloween. Christmas is big business. It's a big portion of our economy. There are some retail stores that bank on Black Friday and Cyber Monday to see if they will have a profit at the end of the year. It's big business. The bottom line is Americans love Christmas. The problem is not all Americans love Jesus. We love the, and it was in an article this week in the Vail Daily, as one person wrote, the magic of Christmas. But not all Americans love Jesus Christ. And Christmas is big business for America, but it's serious business for those of us who know Him and want others to know Him. And so tonight, we're going to look at how Jesus came to the earth. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, if you have those, to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the tables, and I won't be the slightest bit offended if you went up and got one. We're keeping the kids in here tonight like we were gathered around the fire. So all I need is a good cup of coffee, and we'll just tell the story of Christmas. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at the entire chapter and we're going to look at this story about Jesus' birth. The Bible, just to set the uh, context, big theme of the Bible is there is a creation where God created all things good. There was the fall of man where Adam and Eve sinned against God. There is from Genesis 3.15 all the way up into the cross this idea of redemption. That Jesus Christ, and it was anticipated in the Old Testament, manifested in the Gospel, would come to save people from their sins. And now he's in the process of restoration and one day he will come again. He will take those who believe in his name to be with him forever. He will restore this earth and it will be a new heavens and a new earth. And so we find ourselves not really in the middle, but right at the beginning of the New Testament. If the Old Testament was Act 1, the New Testament is Act 2. And this is Scene 1. And so we're picking up on the second half. There will be some things we look at tonight that happened in the first act. We're looking at the Gospel of Matthew. And there are four Gospels given for a reason. The Gospel of John tells us about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, His deity. The Gospel of Luke talks about the Son of Man, His humanity. The Gospel of Mark talks about Jesus Christ, the servant. And here in Matthew, we look at Jesus Christ, the King. And that's what we sing about in that first song about the King. Fall on our knees before the King. He's the King. He's the God-man, servant, King. There may be other political rulers in the world today, but Jesus Christ is King. He was born, we will see, as King. The Magi came from the East and they said, Where is He who has been born King of the Jews? He's the king. And so we begin in Matthew 1, a gospel written mainly for Jewish Christians to show them, or a testimony to Jews to show them that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah that was anticipated in the Old Testament. He's manifested here in the Gospels. He's proclaimed in Acts, explained in the New Testament epistles, and it's consummated in Revelation that He is coming back. Jesus Christ is the king And to be the Jewish king, they paid attention to genealogies. They paid attention to lists. We just finished, if you're joining us tonight, the book of Nehemiah, and in there are about four or five lists. And that one full chapter in chapter 3, 
of lists. They, they were very important to the Jewish people because they wanted to know where their ancestries, where they came from, and they looked back to those lists. And so a list here in Matthew is a perfect thing to begin a gospel to the Jews. It begins, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Jesus Christ, the son of David, that takes us back to 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13, where it says, I will have, have from you come a son, and he will be over a kingdom forever. The Davidic covenant right there. The son of Abraham takes us all the way back to Genesis 12, that here comes the one, the true Jew of all Jews, Jesus Christ, he's the son of David and son of Abraham. And if you notice in 2 through 16, it's a lot of names. There's a lot of names there. And I could go through and read these for you and articulate them for you. But I thought it would be better to put them to music. And so we have a little video here. Andrew Peterson, who's one of the uh, most sound musicians I know, theologically sound musicians, takes verse 2 through verse 16, and puts it to music. Watching Christmas Voices on Gospel Music Channel, America's Christmas Channel. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Sarah came from brought Hezron up and then came Aram and Amanadab, then Nashan, who was then the dad of Salmon, who with Rahab fathered Boaz. Ruth, she married Boaz, who had Obed, who had Jesse. Jesse, he had David, who we know as king. David, he had Solomon by dead Uriah's wife. Solomon, well, you all know him. He had good old Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, who had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, had Isaiah, who had Jotham, then Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Followed by Manasseh, who had Amon, who was Amen, who was father of a good boy named Josiah. Who grandfathered Jehoiakim, who caused the Babylonian captivity because he was a liar, which isn't really true, but it rhymes. Then he had Shealtiel, who begat Zerubbabel, who had Abiud, who had Eliakim. Eliakim had Azer, who had Zadok, who had Achim. Achim was the father of Eliakim. Eliezer, who had Nathan, who had Jacob. Now listen very closely, I don't want to sing this twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, husband of Mary, mother of Christ. You're yeah. watching. Give it up for Andrew Peterson. Um, if you have a guitar, you might want to learn that one. Those were the names, strictly the names, two, verses 2 through 16. And he moves us from Abraham all the way to Jesus Christ. And what you'll find if you have your Bible in front of you is there, this list is different than lists that were in the Old Testament because 
There are some women included in the list. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah, and Mary. Five women. Normally women weren't put in lists, but as you can tell, God, through the Holy Spirit and Matthew, wanted you to know that the Bible lifts up women. That in this divine, royal lineage of Jesus Christ, He's included women. And He wanted everyone to know who would read the Gospel of Matthew that women were included. And if you look at it again, you'll see there are some men in there, some men and women, who were not really of upright character. In fact, David wasn't of upright character. And you have Jeconiah that he was talking about there that uh, sinned against God so much that he said, I will remove you from the throne. And so not only does the Lord put women in there for us to see, he puts a picture of sinful people in there for us to see to show us that the Bible is a very real book. It doesn't try to hide what's gone on in life. In fact, so much so, the Bible shows us our sin and it shows us the only way out of our sin, namely Jesus. And so it moved, he moves from Abraham to David and then David through uh, the Babylonian exile and then all the way to Jesus Christ. But if you're following along, your Bible says Abraham was the father of Isaac and it goes on and every single name that's listed there follows that pattern fathered or was the father or begat if you have an old King James and it goes on and on and on until you get to verse 16 and it said Jacob the father of Joseph and if it was following the pattern it would have said Joseph fathered Jesus but he stops he says Joseph the husband of Mary whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. See, David was, or Matthew was following this pattern to show us here is the Father, the human Father, the human Father, the human Son, the human Son, the human Son, and all the way down until we get to Joseph. And then he stops and he changes his formula because now you're starting to wonder, well then, if Joseph was the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, where did, how did Jesus get born? And that's what we'll look at in 18 through 25. But the final verse of that genealogy said, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. If you follow in your outline, there was a royal introduction. This is Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. There were some questionable inclusions. God included women and sinful people. To the world, they would say, what is going on? But to us who know, it's like the Bible is lifting up women and it's showing us that we are real. We are all real and we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And his motivation at the end was not to give you an exhaustive list. You're looking at this and if you know your scriptures, you go to Luke chapter 3 and you'll say, why did he just choose these people in this list? It's because he's showing you the heroes and the heroines of the Old Testament. He's lifting them up to you to see that this is the one who is the king. And from Abraham to David, the kingdom is established. It's on earth. And when David died, his son Solomon took over, and Solomon didn't do a good job. And the kingdom was split. And you were hoping along the way I could see fathers and sons and families sitting around, well, maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is the king. 
And king after king after king came, and none of them fulfilled what was promised in Second Samuel. And so then you get from David to the, the Babylonian deportation, because finally the Lord had said, I will exile you from the land for 70 years. But he brought them back. And then you get from the deportation to Jesus, 14 years. It's the idea behind David's name, the Dalit, the Vav, and the Dalit is numerically is 4, 6, and 4 equals 14. Any Jewish person reading this genealogy with an open heart and an open mind that the Messiah is still coming would look at this and go, this has got to be unreal. This is the long-awaited Messiah we're waiting for. And that's just the genealogy. Did you know that the Lord can use genealogies to save people? James Montgomery Boyce of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia preached on the genealogy. And in the congregation that night was a young man who was a Campus Crusade for Christ leader, and he was studying that genealogy. And he walked on the campus of a, of a college there in Philadelphia, and there was a young man reading the scriptures, and this Campus Crusade for Christ leader said, this reminds me of Acts 8. This reminds me of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Here's a guy, I notice he's reading the scriptures, so what does he do? He walks over to him and he says, I notice you're reading the Bible. Do you understand what you're saying? What it's saying? He goes, no, how can I understand it unless somebody helps me? Literally. He said, well, what are you reading? Well, I'm reading the, I was, somebody told me to start in the Gospels, and so I'm reading through Matthew, and I'm reading this genealogy, and I just don't get it. And that Campus Crusade for Christ leader was able to share the Gospel through the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so there is, somewhere in America today, a student who is now in the fold because of the genealogy. But again, that genealogy left you thinking, Joseph was the husband of Mary, from whom we get Christ. Well, how did he get to us? That's verses 18 through 25. Verses 18 through 25, if we've just looked at his human genealogy, his royal line, we're now going to see his divine birth, his divine uh, lineage, so to speak. And in 18 it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. That's the summary statement. And then in 18... B, through the rest of the section, you're going to get how it took place. It says, When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. That is, this was the immaculate conception. This was the virgin birth. She had not come together with Joseph. It's good language, right, tonight? Had not come together with Joseph but she was found to be with a baby. A miraculous thing just happened. There's two great miracles in the Bible. They're loaded with, with the Bible's loaded with miracles, but there's two extremely uh, profound miracles. It's the birth of Jesus and the death of res- and resurrection of Jesus. This virgin birth, it gets a lot of debate. I'll just read you some quotes from some famous people, some theologians, some not. Marilyn Manson. I hate Christmas, really, if you know who he is. I like go around and replace the baby Jesus with boiled ham. Okay. Thank you, Marilyn. Prince, or the artist formerly known as Prince, 
I don't understand what Christmas means. It seems to be a ridiculous convention that everyone assumes. Here's one of my favorites, Larry King, Larry King Live. When asked if he could interview anyone from all of history, he said, Jesus Christ. And what would you ask him? King replied, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. Go read Matthew. (laughs) What he's saying there is we can't trust the Bible. Because somebody had already shared with him about the virgin birth. No way I can trust the Bible. A cardinal in 1615 at the trial, trial of Galileo. To assert that the earth revolves around the sun is as ridiculous as the claim that Jesus was not, was not born of a virgin, defending it. Emer- Harry Emerson Fosdick, a liberal, influential pastor in New York, said, I don't believe in the virgin birth, birth and hope that none of you do. Thomas Jefferson, in a letter to John Adams, the day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus, by a supreme being as his father, in the womb of a virgin, will be classified with the fable, and here's how he says it, in the generation of Minerva in the brain of Jupiter. In a sense, he's saying this will just be a hoax, a story, a fable. We won't believe. Thomas Jefferson. Finally, I'll end with a positive one. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. The greatest and most momentous fact with which history of the world records is the fact of his virgin birth. We need the virgin birth. Uh, Without it, we don't have a Savior. Without it, we do not have the God-man. And here's how it happened. Before they were betrothed, and the idea behind that is it's stronger than our engagement. It's, it's in a sense, a one-year contract where she still lives in her father's house, but they're all but married And the only thing that can cancel that is death or divorce. And so they're betrothed. And before they had come together, she was found to be with child. And it says in verse 19, And Joseph, being a just man or a righteous man, he was a righteous man. He was just. He he lived rightly before God. Not perfectly, but rightly. Finds out about this. You're what? With what? Now, I don't know if Mary explained to him exactly what we learn about what she was told in Luke 2, but Joseph finds out about it. And it must have really tore him up. And he said, and it says here, but he's unwilling to put her to shame, and so he resolved to divorce her quietly. I don't think Joseph knew and or understood if Mary shared with him what was going on. And so he says, you know what? I don't want to make a spectacle over this. Deuteronomy 22 tells me I could go do some, make a great deal of this. I'm not going to do that. So he was a righteous man and he was a gracious man. Wrestling with it. Goes to bed at night. Lord, God, what's going on? Choose to marry this woman and now I find out that she's pregnant. So he falls asleep. Verse 20 says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, look what he calls him, son of David. Part of the right line. Don't fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her 
is from the Holy Spirit. God gets his message to Joseph. Really? Take her to be your wife because that is a divine, it's, it's a divine thing. The conception was by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, verse 21 says, and you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, Jesus, Yeshua. The Lord saves. He gives you the reason at the end of 21, for he will save his people from their sins. I don't know if you've been told this before, but the purpose of Christmas is Easter. The purpose of his birth was his death. It says it right there. She will have a son, his birth. You will name him Jesus, the Lord saves, for he will save his people from their sins. You're saying, you mean he really had to die? Yes, Paul's testimony in Galatians 4.4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 1 John 3, 5 and 8 says this, You know that he appeared, or he came to us, he he was on earth, to take away sins. And it gives a comment on his life, and in him there is no sin. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 1 Corinthians 15 explains to us, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's gone. For those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, because the God-man, he had to be God and he had to be man, died on a cross and rose again. Jesus' birth makes it possible for us to be born again because his incarnation provides for us the way to our justification. He redeemed us. That means he purchased us back out of slavery, slavery to sin, with his own life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, his son. He had to come and bear the punishment that was for all of us. Every single person in this room, every church service that's going on this evening, every person that decided not to attend a Christmas Eve service, Jesus Christ died for their sins. He died for their sins. He had to die. God didn't need to die on the cross because God is holy and perfect and just and right. In Him there is no evil. He can't even look upon evil, says the Bible. But mankind needed somebody of their own to die for them. And so you needed, and we needed, all of us, myself included, needed a divine propitiation for our sins, and we needed to have that done by somebody who could identify with us. And in the song we sang tonight, it talked about in our weaknesses, He knows where we're at. Hebrews tells us that He was like us in everything, yet without sin. And so to become like us, to become, quote, one of our brothers, Hebrews tells us, he had to be born. And so the angel tells Joseph, it's okay. This is God's work. 
And then Matthew gives us, if we're reading this, a little parenthesis. He says, all of this took place, verse 22, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he quotes Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And there's been a lot of discussion. There's been a lot of ink spilled over this idea of Isaiah 7:14. Well, that's not really what it says. Because if you go look at the Hebrew, the word for virgin there is Alma. And that just means maiden, so that doesn't necessarily mean she, have a, she had to be a virgin, so therefore we can put into question the virgin birth. I mean, if he really, Isaiah really wanted to do this, he could have used the Hebrew term Bethula, right? But he didn't. But let me just, just write this down. Genesis 24, verses 16 and 43. Let me just read you this. There's nine times this Alma term is used in the Old Testament. In this particular chapter, both terms are used. The one that really means virgin and the one that means maiden. And it's used of Rebekah before she knew Isaac. And it reads in verse 16, the young woman was very attractive in appearance. A virgin who had not known a man. Makes good sense. Then if we read 43... Talking about meeting Rebecca, it says, "Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who come, let the excuse me, let the maiden who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water for your drink." Seems to me Moses didn't have a problem with using Alma and Bethuel, and it seems to me Matthew didn't have a problem using the Greek version of the Old Testament, and he quotes Isaiah 7:14. The debate really shouldn't even be a debate. It, they're interchangeable terms. And most of, the, most of the terms in the Old Testament, if you look at the context, they're always a virgin. If you don't agree with that, let's just go with this is Matthew. Matthew chose the Greek version, Parthenos, which always means virgin. And when he chose this Greek version of the Old Testament, he put it right here at the guise of the Holy Spirit, First Peter 1 says, men who are guided by the Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures. Let's just take Matthew for what it says. Behold the virgin. Not the maiden, the virgin. Everybody throws the question out there, could God have done something else? The Bible doesn't tell us. And we don't need to even go there. The Bible says she was, Jesus was born of a virgin. Why is the virgin birth so vital? Because in our sin-filled world, we needed somebody from the outside to step in. Jesus was God's begotten. And he stepped in. He came right through the human line with Mary being his mother. Divine conception to God-man. And if you believe in miracles, that makes perfect sense. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Then Matthew tells us, which means God with us. There's nothing more comforting to know that God is with you. And God came to be with us. Jesus ended this book of Matthew with, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. I'm Emmanuel, even to the end of the age. 
And the beauty of all this in verse 24 and 25 is Joseph's simple obedience. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until he knew her not until she had given birth to his son and he called his name Jesus. He did exactly what the, the, what the angel commanded him, the Lord's word. He was obedient, simple obedience. He did not know her until she had given birth. And that means there's no such thing as the perpetual virginity of Mary. In fact, in Matthew 12:46, it talks about Jesus' brothers. In Luke 2, verse 7, it talks about this, Jesus was her firstborn. And he called his name Jesus. Matthew didn't make a big to-do about what Joseph did because Joseph simply obeyed the word of God. That's a good lesson for us to learn, isn't it? Let's not make a big deal of what God calls us to do. Let's just do it and point to Jesus. So what's the significance of this story? Matthew 2.2 Where is he who has been born? That's a past tense. That means the Magi who were coming from the east bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh of which all little Christmas pageants have kids dress up and bring those gifts, right? Where is he who has been born? King of the Jews. It was a done deal. He came and was king. He was, did you know, the first Christmas gift ever given? For God so loved the world that he gave gift. He gave his only begotten son that those who should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Christmas is serious business, isn't it? It's serious. But not for the reasons Wall Street thinks about it. Christmas is not optional because Christmas points to Easter. I'll end with this verse. The end of the Gospel of John, Jesus in John 18.37 is having a discussion with Pilate. Pilate's not quite sure if he should send Jesus to the cross or not, and so he's trying to get out of him some sort of profession whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. And I'll read it to you in the New International Version because it captures the, the essence of the conversation. You are a king then, said Pilate? Jesus answered, you are right in saying that I'm a king. In fact... For this reason I was born, his own testimony, to Christmas. For this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me, to which Pilate replied, What is truth? What is truth? The truth is, we're all sinners. We are. The truth is, we're all sinners. When Tiger Woods confesses to the world and calls it a transgression, that's just a fancy word for sin. When, when you go to the mountain, whether you've been or will go, to get on the gondola, and you're impatient in line, it's a sin. When you're disobedient to your parents, it's a sin. When your speech is rude, it's a sin. And the Bible says, 
Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, speaking of Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so if you're here tonight and you're looking for your way, look to Jesus. If you're looking for the truth given to you by the word, look to Jesus. If you're looking for life, look to Jesus. That is, believe in Him. Rest in His work. God created us to be with Him forever. And we inherited our sin from our fallen ancestors, Adam and Eve. But Jesus came, born of a virgin, a miraculous birth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and after three days, rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brought him into the world. The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. And it says, all those who look upon him, who believe in him, shall not perish. Yes, we will die, but eternally we will not perish, but have eternal life. So if this is new to you, or this is something that you've heard for a long time and you just haven't really believed, might I give you a Simple challenge tonight, tomorrow morning, before you go home and unwrap the gifts that are under the tree, might you contemplate the meaning of Christmas and the perfect gift that was put on a tree for you and me. Father, thank you. A profound thank you for what you've done for us. We give you thanks. We bless your name because you loved us so much that you gave your only son. You were in perfect harmony with him in heaven and the Holy Spirit and you chose to send him to us at the perfect time, to live the perfect life, to die the perfect death, so that your wrath would be satisfied. And now you look upon us who have believed in Jesus with love and affection and grace. Father, I pray for anyone in here who does not know the Lord, anyone in here whom Christmas has just been a time of year, where you get together with family, you eat good food, lots of it. But they never really thought that Christmas meant so much. I pray, Lord, that you would touch their hearts. Father, we can think of nothing better to do than to celebrate by singing unto you, just like the angels did then. Lord, as we sing this last song to you, might you be glorified and might we be encouraged in our faith. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.